Hello, my name is Seth Townsley and I'm the e-mobility marketing leader for the UK and Ireland at Schneider Electric and welcome to episode 6 of the Drive to Net Zero. Today, we're taking a different slant on the conversation. We've done a deep dive into EV policy and regulation to drive a net zero transport system and economy, but this month we're going to be talking less about the what and more about the how. How you can deploy a sustainable strategy for your EV fleet. Every fleet is unique and therefore every fleet looking to electrify will have a unique charging needs. In fact, planning for charging infrastructure is more complicated than most fleet operators think. Fleets making the switch to electric will likely have to make some changes in day-to-day fueling and operations that may be uncomfortable initially. Ultimately though, the changes that come with electrification will result in a net improvement. The more planning a fleet does up front, including identifying partners from electric OEMs and utilities to charging and software providers, the better equipped they will be able to make a smooth transition. To discuss this topic today, I'm delighted to be joined by Lorna McAteer, National Grid's Fleet Manager, Steve Winter, Head of Fleet at British Gas, and Ollie Crawn, Head of Corporate Social Responsibility at DPD UK. Thank you all for joining me today. Firstly, could you let me know a little bit about how you got involved in the world of e-mobility and and in particular fleets? So I've been involved in e-mobility for quite some time. I think ever since I joined E.ON, came from IT doing projects on low carbon reduction and kind of followed it all the way through since then. So it's been a bit of a passion of mine all the way through. Having introduced the first um, electric vans on fleet a long time ago with the Renault Kangoos and almost 10 to 15 years ago, actually, and then just carried on following that through. Mind you, 10 to 15 years ago, I was still talking hydrogen, and I think we're still talking hydrogen being a potential going forward as well. So it's just been something I've always looked at and just trying to find out what the next thing is that we can do and how to make this a cleaner, fresher place for us all to live in. And how about yourself, Steve? Uh, what, what, what brought you to, uh, to into the e-mobility and fleets world at, uh, at British Gas? Um, well, it's interesting because uh, Lorna and I probably started in the e-mobility around the same time. So our, our journey started in 2013 um, with EMV 200s, 28 kilowatt. And, um, you know, that was the start of our journey. In terms of, you know, how long I've been in fleet, I've been in fleet all my life, really which seems like an eternity, but the last uh, few years, you know, I've learned more in the last few years than I did in my earlier career, to be honest. And I've, I've found this probably the most exciting part of my career, even though it's nearing the end. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's been a, a great journey. Uh, and like Lorna, probably 15 years or so on this journey already. And Ollie, call you a bit, I guess a bit of a difference like there in the corporate social responsibility and sustainability within DPD, you know, um, how did, how did you get involved in, in the world of e-mobility as well? Well, actually, Seth, I, I'm an operator. That's my background. Um, uh, and I've been with DPD nearly 10 years now. And, and um, back in 2012, I started. So for me, it was the interest from an operator side when we started to roll out electric vehicles several years ago. Um, I managed a uh, site in Lincoln. So second largest county in the country one of the least populated, not really ideal for electric vehicles in the range. But I have to say in true DPD fashion, you know, I took on the challenge. It's very proud of that sort of um, element and direction of the business. Um, And also the sort of infectious good feel of going EV and the drivers tapping into it, wanting to be in the next EV that was delivered even though obviously there's there were some challenges there so you know that's where i got involved and then towards the end of 2019 i had such a fantastic opportunity 
um, to become head of corporate social responsibility at DPD and obviously you know just such a huge strategy to decarbonize fleet and obviously all the other add-ons when it comes to sustainability and CSR so really exciting times got you know a challenge ahead of us like all the other companies but that's how I got into it and um, looking forward to really making a difference uh, you know this is the defining decade definitely absolutely it's, it's great to hear I mean, I mean i guess probably one of the one of the reasons one of the many reasons why we'd like you on the podcast today is, is typically the size of your the fleets that you're that you're all operating i just wondered if you could give some of the listeners an indication that you know how how big is your existing fleets you know what proportion is ev and, and what are your aspirations what are your targets to move towards no problem so the size of my fleet is i've got 1700 odd cars i've got over a thousand bits of commercial and a thousand bits of plant my goal that i set out last year on my whole strategy is net zero by 2030 so when i first joined national grid which is about 18 months ago i had seven electric vehicles on fleet i've now got a third of my car fleet as electric vehicles and we've got 63 commercial vehicles already as full evs in operation okay so significant and how about yourself steve at uh, at uh, british gas so um we've got around 1400 company cars um Probably almost half of those uh, plug-in hybrid or full EV. Uh, and our car policy now is plug-in hybrid and full EV only. And, and we're likely to change that in January next year to go um, full EV. Um, we've got a group ambition to be a full EV fleet by 2025. Um, our van fleet makes up about nine, nine and a half thousand vehicles. And currently we've got 3,000 um, electric vehicles on order and, and they've started to be delivered and we've got about 400 currently on, on the road operating. That's impressive. And Ollie, I guess probably it's more, more on, the, on, on the van piece, I guess, within DPD. Definitely, Seth. Um, last year we achieved 10% fleet. We ended the year with um, over 700 vehicles, electric vehicles, um, and 10% fleet in every depot. So again, not London centric, not urban centric, you know, every site across the UK. Um, and this year we will have over 1700 electric vehicles um, by peak. So peak is, is November in the past world and, and December. Um, huge transition investment. We've got our vision 25, so we can deliver all electric to 25 town cities by 2025. That will cover 25% of our entire volume, which will be over 100 million parcels delivered all electric. Um, and on a company car side of things, you know, we offer um, an electric version in every single standard of company car that we pro provide our workforce. Um, and plug-in hybrids at the moment seem to be the big take-up in, in that um, area as well. Okay, so from the experience you've had from kind of deploying your own EV strategies, how do you believe companies should approach transitioning their fleets to EV? Is it is it a software, a hardware conversation, a policy conversation? Where do, where do you believe they should? What should they approach first in order to deploy a successful fleet um, within their organisations? In terms of strategies and advice and how you go about it, it's getting all the pieces together. It's lining it all up. I think the first thing you've got to do is understand what it is you're trying to achieve, understand the message that your board or your company have got and where you can tap into that message as well so that you're all actually saying the same thing and heading in 
the same direction. From there, it's a case of working it through, working through the numbers. And I think the first thing you've got to do is actually set a target and do something. And you've actually got to take that very first step because you need to get on this journey the same as everyone else. You don't need to panic about it, but you do just need to get on that journey. And from there, you start to then look at the messaging, what is achievable, what isn't achievable, what are the life cycles of my vehicles already, therefore, which ones can I change today through a natural replacement cycle because of what's already out there. You too could do stuff. That, that's still down there. You know, I've got, still got some vehicles on my fleet. I have no idea how I'm going to get them to a zero emission, but I'll worry about that in a few years' time, depending on what hits the marketplace. As Steve said earlier when you asked us the questions, you know, this is such an exciting and changeable period that we're in at the moment. And so it's just working through it and learning that you can have a plan, but things are going to change and just be ready for those changes. I think just to, just to build on what Lorna says, you know, you've got to get the board or the senior team on 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 board with you. But but you can, there's no substitute for working the numbers through. The total cost of ownership is absolutely critical to this. It's not we're not implementing EVs just because it's good and it's what 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 the whole world wants at the moment. It's got to be financially viable for our business. So we've got to get the TCO model or total cost of ownership model to work. And, and it's competing against an ICE vehicle that's been developed over a number of years. And um, it is a real difficult challenge. And, and whilst, you know, we've got a strategy, I think we've all got strategies and plans for EV implementation, transition, whatever we might like to call it. But lots of things conspire against us. And, and blimey, the last year, how many more things are we going to have thrown at us? And still we're pushing on forward and I'm um, continually asked by the board, are you still all right? Are you still, are you still think you're going to hit these? And I'm saying, yeah, yeah, the plates are still spinning. But, but, and, that, and that's what we're trying to do. It is, it is not an overnight journey. It's taken some of us a long time, you know, to get to where we are. And for somebody to get, you know, from a place of zero EVs up to a full fleet of EVs, you're going to have to ask some questions. And don't be frightened to ask those questions that you might think are silly, because some of us have experienced those, those issues. And you, you need to ask the questions and, and don't be afraid to ask the questions, because I, I think all of us on the call really want to help because we can see where the vision is. And whilst we, we want the best for our own fleet, I think we want the best for the fleet industry as well. And I think there's some some good things out there that, that are happening, and um, we just need to capitalise on on all the experience out there now. And, and how have you? Found, thanks very much for that, Steve. And, and how have you found that, Ollie, within DPD? Again, you know the the, the transitioning of um, your vehicles, be they vans, cars. Have you found the transition to EV within DPD? Well, last last year, pre-COVID, we launched um, a, a fourth pillar in our strategy to be the UK's leader in sustainable delivery so when you put something at the very core of a business like that everyone is involved and i think that helps the influence and the transition seth um it definitely has in the business everyone's very motivated by it like i said it's a field of factor it's the right thing to do you know total cost ownership the, the vehicles still are more expensive they're not cost comparable there's a lot of investment there you know, um, and, and these vehicles aren't tried and tested like the old fashioned ICE vehicles. So there is a little bit of a risk. But um, like I said, it's the right thing to do. We need to make our 
you know, help our environment, make our cities cleaner with, with fleets delivering them and act responsibly. And that's what DPD are doing. Um, echoing Steve and Lorna's comments, uh, I think don't look at what you can't do, look at what you can do. And it's about if everyone did that, it would it would help the environment obviously immensely if everyone did a, a bit because you can't do everything. Um, gives you a strategy. You can then calculate the cost impact of your business as well because you're looking at what, you, what you're going to transition. Um, and let's face it, if everyone does it, the demand for those vehicles, the demand for that infrastructure will be a catalyst for, for change at a greater pace because there's a lot of talk about investment, but it's a lot of talk. I don't see the action as much. And I think the more people join the party, the more successful it's going to be, that transition. That's no, perfect. And I'm reluctant to ask the next question because there's a negative spin on it because of the such positivity from the from the previous answers. But what what, what do you feel are the key challenges facing companies in electro, electrifying their fleets? In your experience, is it issues around infrastructure, finance, policy, you know, consumer adoption, attitudes? What do you feel are the are the challenges that you've that you've encountered as you've deployed your EV fleets? Or all, all of the above, or all, all of those, with differing degrees. And um, you, you know, there's challenges from everywhere. You know, we've had we've had issues with stamp duty, believe it or not. You know, when the government changed the stamp duty rates, more of our engineers decided to move house, and because we home charge most of our vans, we've, we've, we've nailed a charge point on the wall. Now we've had to take it off and put it on a different wall. So we've added cost into that. So, so it's all of those things that are, that are in there. Um, and, you know, engineer acceptance was, was, was one because, you know, when we started the journey, nobody would seen an EV apart from delivering the milk on, 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 on the morning. And they all thought an EV was, was going to be like a milk float. And, and they're so not. And so, you know, part of that, you know, part of the main point was getting the, their engineers and the drivers accepting this new technology when it was new. And, and then we found that most, most of our engineers hadn't even driven an automatic, let alone an electric. And so that engineer acceptance was also critical. And then you've got government legislation and ultra low emission zones and clean air zones thrown in there. And you've got government grants, you know, import duties, cafe regs, all those sorts of things, all, all, all of us are battling with all the time to try and get and find our way through it. And that goes back to my earlier point. Don't be trying to ask some questions because some of us have probably experienced it and found an answer to it. But um, sorry for butting in then, Lorna. No, I think Ollie was actually going to try and go next anyway. And it's probably all of us are saying exactly the same. And, and, and Steve, I'm still chuckling at the resilience we were talking about there as fleet managers and everything else. So Seth, although you kind of think this is, there's a negativity to that question, we've been battling so much for so long it's almost like that negativity is water off a duck's back because it's like, well, what next? Come on, throw me something else. And, and if you think about it, the, the next stuff at the moment is, well, is it hydrogen or is it catenary? You know, we're into these debates on what is next and we're still going through all of that. So turning your negative question into a positive, these are challenges and it's something that the fleet managers do all the time. You know, and we still have drivers and we'll still have somebody that will bump one of our vehicles and we still have to keep that on the road and we'll still have the odd breakdown or something go wrong with it. We'll still have somebody that doesn't like it because they can't get the dog in the back or whatever it is. There will always be a challenge for us in fleet that we find a way to overcome. 
Anything else, Oli, to add there, or just I, I don't know whether Stephen and Lorna have kind of covered it up. I think um, for us, the, it's not the driver. The drivers are, have been fantastic. Um, yes, um, some people are like, is that really an electric vehicle? You know, and there's that transition, but they're automatic. So actually, in our world, in the parcel world, when you're in a city delivering, that's a benefit. You know, they love that. They, that's one of the things they love about it. They love the because we we brand our electric vehicles slightly differently with the green doors and uh, like a leafy livery. Um, the public are like, wow, you're in an electric vehicle. What's what's that like? To so they like that sort of interaction as well with with the public. That's great. But the biggest, scariest challenge, apart from the cost of these vehicles and the availability of right-hand drive three and a half ton vehicles in our industry, is charging infrastructure. And that is the scariest bit. We home charge a lot of that because our model typically is owner driver franchisee. So they lease the vehicle by their own. Um, we pay for a home charge point um, along with the OZEV grant, obviously, that keeps, you know, it's reduced down to 350 over the last 12 months. Same with vehicle grants. They keep reducing. The, the, the government don't seem to allow to sort of publish a a way that that's going to obviously reduce year on year because it shocked a lot of businesses. I think when it was announced this year, the um, money and obviously they've got to refinance, you know, their, their um, uh, plan to, to purchase their vehicles. But charging is definitely a scary piece because not everyone has off street parking to invest charging in, in buildings, in, in properties, is huge expensive investment. You know, electrification, previously we've been downgrading electricity to houses and properties because electric appliances have been more efficient, buildings have been more efficient. Now we're telling everyone that we need more electricity to these buildings. And it's like trying to turn a tanker at, at times to really sort of um, push it around. But for me, charging is the biggest risk in this transition definitely i'm going to sneak in another little question here because lorna mentioned something around kind of you know the day-to-day -day activity of things but do you, have you seen any driver behavioral change since they've adopted so somebody who's been in an internal combustion engine vehicle to a to an ev has there been any changes in, in number of accidents or whatever else or speeding tickets or anything else like that this is just a just a just a question that pops into my head just for so risk risk of upsetting people um, we're inherently lazy as human beings. So the last thing you want to have to do is charge that vehicle. So actually, we've seen an improvement in driving because the better you drive an EV, the less you need to stick a cable in and charge it. So that by nature means they're more cautious, they look after their vehicles better um, and take more care out on the road. And, and range anxiety is, is a great way to improve driver performance because if they're worried about getting home or getting back to the depot, then you can bet your life they'll drive it a bit better. And, and we've actually built in some benefits from reduced accident and repair costs into our TCO model. Um, because I, th I think Lorna's right, there's a different way to drive EVs to a normal ICE vehicle. And um, yeah, as, as Ollie mentioned, our engineers love automatics. It's less stressful. They're less stressful to drive. They're more relaxed when they're driving, it appears. And so I think there are some hidden benefits there. I don't know. No, so, so, so could, could we talk about some best practices as well? Um, you know, could you could you tell me a little bit around some of the best practices in 
national grid, British Gas, DPD, are driving forward the transition to their fleets to 100% zero emissions. At, at DPD, Seth, um, we train our drivers in using the electric vehicle, as Steve and Lorna have stated, that you can't drive the vehicle the same as you would an ICE. Yes, um, at first the drivers feel that power straight away, as you do in an electric vehicle, but very quickly they realise that they can't just race off the traffic line or, or move, you know, that acceleration. They, they then drive more sensibly. You see that the, the charge is better. They're using the vehicle more economically. There's loads of benefits. They really enjoy driving these vehicles. We breakdowns. We we have not had one breakdown of an electric vehicle um, on our fleet. Um, there's some increased use in tyres um, because of the torque that you get straight away in one of those vehicles. But on a whole, it's it's been a real success. Obviously, in that sort of side of things. So, so um, what what are potentially the cost challenges and benefits of deploying an EV fleet? You know, where, where can businesses source finance for EV fleet and infrastructure as well? I think one of the things that people really need to understand is you've got a balance book for a reason, and you've got the personal side of things, you've got the corporate side of things, and one of the areas that often gets overlooked by a lot of people is the tax side of everything you do as a corporate. So if we're talking first-time purchases or leases, whichever way around it is, as Steve mentioned earlier, it's that total cost of ownership. And a lot of people forget that there's a corporate NI that gets saved as well when you move across to EVs. So whereas the upfront cost may seem expensive, actually, when you look at the cost over the life of that vehicle, how long you're going to keep it, you do save more on that corporate side. So it's kind of pushing the money around and rebalancing what's there now. And it works. You, you can do it as long as you look at that whole picture. If you only ever look at that upfront cost initially of that vehicle, you'll never get it to balance. And have you found any sorts of, so um, sourcing, was the finance sorted by National Grid or did you reach out to other areas to to to, to fund the, 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 the move to EV fleets within uh, National Grid and British Gas? So in terms of the funding, so on cars we lease, so we just carried on with the model. And going back to the one of the points you asked earlier about best practice stuff, it's just another vehicle. It's just a replacement to one that you already have. So remember that how you fund it and how you do all the types of things are still your normal processes. So you're still looking at your fuel costs, your maintenance costs, your safety, how you get all of that in there. You're still looking at, if you go to infrastructure charging, your fuel cards, how you work out how to do all of that. So it's just another vehicle. It, it's not something exceptional. So don't panic about it being exceptional. Um, best practice, it's just normal. Just a few nuances, but otherwise normal. Is there, do, you, do you feel, uh, you know, from government, um, there's been support for you to change your your fleets um you know and certainly it, it sounds like you know within your organizations for businesses but the business has absolutely supported you but are you finding it in the in the external environment you know with 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 government policy um how have, how have you been supported with the change have they supported you enough you have to remember what government's done and i think a lot of the time we forget what government's actually done so apart from we're still waiting on the transport decarbonization plan but a long time ago they started these journeys the BIK has been a massive influence to people's pockets and changing behaviours. The more expensive it gets to drive the ICE vehicle, then the more it costs in elsewhere. 
You've got the new grants that are coming out as well. You've got the write down allowances and the super deduction stuff. There's an awful lot that the government has done for different parts of companies as well on different sides of that balance book. There's the innovation grants that have come out as well. And I'm sure Ollie and Steve can talk about other things that have come in. So they've done an awful lot to help this transition. Steve, any, anything to, to, to add there at all from Lorna's words? No, I, I agree that, you know, the government have done an awful lot. They've also um, put in a few few challenges along the way for good measure as well, um, which, which, which has been a bit difficult. And, uh, but I think the one thing I always, I always, you know, try to get people to remember is that we, you know, we lease our vehicles. And, and so I'm going to take a lease today and that lease will last perhaps six or seven years, maybe. So I've got to try and future proof it for that. So knowledge and insight as to what's going to happen in that 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 period is is very helpful, and it's it's, it's important to understand you know how how that will impact on my fleet because you could easily make the wrong decisions. Um, so I think you, you know the, the government changed the grant overnight, um, which, which just did cause some headaches. But we understand why, you know, we understand the, 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 the decision making and, and the, the recent change in VAT rate on, you know, uh, on charge points that there was no real knowledge of that. And that, that will impact our TCO model. Um, and I'm sure, you know, that'll be another challenge and we'll find a way through that. But, but it's that sort of thing we get, we get and understand it, but, but knowledge and the ability to plan for it. Is, is is really helpful and at this moment i'm not sure we've got all the the insight um on the next what nine years now until 2030 yes yeah, so thanks for that so I, the next next um, question is around infrastructure um and just to reach out to you to ask a question around how how do you feel there's sufficient infrastructure in the uk for a proficient ev fleet um you know what proportion of your business is a home charge versus depot versus you know about town charging uh, at dpd seth um about 41 percent of our drivers home charge but at the moment uh, out of our 732 vehicles about 560 of those nissan envs so you know for people that don't know what a nissan env looks like it's like a family suv that can fit on a driveway and charge. But when you move towards a three and a half ton, it's very unlikely that's gonna fit on a driveway. And if it does, it probably causes a few neighborly disputes because obviously it's a, it's a big vehicle. And it, with a lot of newer housing developments, service vans aren't usually welcome. There's usually caveats about that. So for me, there needs to be more thinking around ev charging hubs specifically for fleets um you know it's not just epds that electrifying our competitors need to you know bin lorries council vehicles you know the list goes on and on and on um and i'm sure there'll be a huge amount of complaints when these vehicles are taking up public what a public charges charging you know and then they can't get on the charger so i think local government need to look and i know there are talk again talking about it people that i talk to charging hubs that fleets can utilize but for me we need to start moving forward more quickly and take maybe a few risks and you know whatever we do now might not be fit 
in nine years time but at least we've started something which will probably lead to another you know um, evolution of that that might be the perfect but we talk so much it's going to get to a point where it's too close to the 2030 like steve said you know it it will fly by you know and we'll be there before we know it and i think you know building on that i'm ollie i'm i'm really impressed you you got 41 percent. i just thought it was around 40 um of our engineers are allowed to home charge or got the ability to home charge but because van batteries predominantly are getting much bigger you know seven kilowatt home charger won't give you a full charge perhaps particularly if you're doing call out and things like that so i think you know reliable public infrastructure is critical but for for me and i think lorna and, and ollie we want a timed appointment i want to know that i can get on that charge point at 2 30 in the afternoon and i can have a half an hour of, of, of 100 kilowatt that's what i want i don't want to queue up that will cause inefficiencies within our business that will mount that TCO model the wrong way. So I think absolutely a fleet charging network is required by a lot of fleets that are able to book a, a timed appointment that engineers can charge their vehicle. You know, it, the, even the fastest charges take half an hour to, to char charge our vehicles. Whereas if you go to a petrol forecourt now, you can get a, you know, a couple of gallons of diesel and a coffee and be on your way within 10 minutes and has no impact on, on the efficiency of the business. But when you have to stop uh, for half an hour, it's, it's a great, you know, it's, it's a pain. But, if, you know, moreover, if there is charging hubs that they, we could get engineers to have their break at, so they can have their break whilst they're charging their vehicle. It's that type of thing. I, I don't think we, we're, I've not been talking to CPOs that are doing that sort of thing at this moment. They all may have ambitious plans, but there's nothing there yet. So we're still innovators and, you know, we're stay, still taking advantage of not enough EVs on the, on the road. So the charge points aren't full, but it won't take long before those charge points are full and we are queuing up and then there will be problems. Taking the points that both Ollie and Steve have said, you know, there's, this is an iterative process and we're going to keep going through this as technology changes. So we're trying to come up with solutions today when actually there might be a technology advancement in batteries in the next couple of years. And therefore some of the solutions we're trying to put in place aren't there. But you can't build the infrastructure overnight. It takes a long time to get it all in place. And anyone that's ever put an EV in, one of the things I always used to say is as difficult as buying an EV is now, it's still the easiest thing you're gonna do as a fleet manager because the rest of it is more difficult. So when it comes back to it, and Ollie's, Ollie's referenced some of this stuff as well, you know, governments and local councils are hoping that corporates pay something towards some of these public charges, which is great, and we can. But then when you get the problems that Ollie's mentioned, the public perception is those corporate liveried vehicles shouldn't be on those public charge points, then you have a bit of a problem. So we are very much, as Steve says, in this innovation side, we're looking at this and it's classic chicken and egg. You know, the more demand, the more supply. And we're going to keep going round and round and round. We'll need more hubs. We won't need as many hubs as we get more people charging at home. All the dynamics will shift as we keep going through this and the other solutions come out. But we still need to jump on it somehow and put some things in place because we will, as we come out of COVID, as we get more vehicles, start queuing. It's a, it's a really interesting point, is that, because you do see a lot of the social media activity around uh, EV hubs, you know, big fanfares around launching EV hubs in, in Oxford, and I think there's one going live in York soon, but I think Steve's point around it's not enough of it 
um, certainly to satisfied event with the hockey stick growth that we are experiencing now. The fact that more EVs were sold last month or this year so far than in the, in the history of EVs in the UK and Ireland demonstrates the pace in which this technology is moving and that whole infrastructure piece just isn't matching where where we're growing there at the moment so it's um it's a it's an interesting conversation i, I think that to, to add to that though seth it's around you know when you use the charge point it's how do you pay for it as a as a fleet operator you know we're all used to giving our drivers a fuel card that can be used in any one of you know thousands and thousands of outlets but you know we've almost got a wallet full of cards to charge and this ability to roam using one card and to recompense engineers that use home charging or, or drivers that use home charging. Now we've had to develop our own systems using our staff ID card to allow trying to roam with that vehicle and to allow us to cross charge and, and recompense engineers for the energy they've used. All those things are really complicated to do. As Lorna says, buying the van is easy. Um, it's, it's operating it and how do you charge it? How do you pay for the charge? And all those sorts of things are, are challenges that you'll, you'll face. If, if you think buying the vehicle is difficult, you wait till you have to operate it. Absolutely. It's, it's an interesting one, actually, to see. The, the, um, the conversation, our previous podcast with uh, Lorna's very own, Graham Cooper from National Grid. And, and Graham had historically worked in the telecommunications industry where, you know, you would buy a phone and then you'd get a separate um uh, account for the actual, the actual usage of the phone and, and, and maybe we're going to be at a point where the car it's not just the vehicle but it's actually you get the full service package so you get the charging on it all and you pay for that at a, you know in a least cost over the course of a four or five year or seven year cycle or something like that instead but you're right you know having a wallet full of cards to charge at certain areas is, I don't think it's sustainable at all moving forward just um, a question around the, the the, the drivers how do you uh, how do you position it with new drivers of, of evs within your organizations is there special training that they go on you know how do of of drivers um embraced the concept of ev or is it just is there any resistance to it how, how have you found them as a, as a community in in general there, there, do, you, do you know what when we launched the first ones because we had volunteers it, it was almost a honeymoon period but it's not been a honeymoon period. They really love these vans. You know, they are, and we've already covered this. They're smooth, they're quiet, they're a bit peppy in their performance, you know, and customers ask them, oh, wow, you're driving one of those, you know, tell me about it. They're starting to engage with the customers as well. So I think there's a real feel-good um, value to them. You know, we had to train our engineers to drive them because there is a different way to drive. And, um, you know, we've we've had some issues with that. So we've had to do some videos, you know, because COVID wasn't allowing us to do formal training sessions. We've had to do videos and all those sorts of things. But I think there is a general acceptance now that, that they are um, good and, and they're great to drive. Um, but but it is you, you do need to get the driver's acceptance. That, that was one of the, the critical points in the early days. Any, any other thoughts at all, Lorna, there? I can't add anything to what Steve said. You know, the, the demand is there, and once they get them, they absolutely love the vehicles. I think the challenge with the drivers are the genuine ones that are doing 30,000, 40,000 miles in their vehicles and maybe carrying kit and other bits and pieces because your vans aren't quite there yet on the tech side of it. Cars are ahead of where vans are, and even the cars, it's only in the last year or two that we've seen changes in what's able to go out there. So they want them. It's just not quite practical for some of the jobs yet. 
going right back to a point I said at the beginning, start somewhere, start with those that you can and then work it through. But drivers have actually been pretty easy to win over in most cases. In fact, they're asking for it. They're demanding it. I, I think I, I agree with what Steve and Lorna have said, but also you will get a positive take up if you give the van to the right people or are on the right route. My obviously DPDs operates differently to these guys, but if you're going to put someone on a, a route that does 180 miles and it's got an 80, 100 mile range, that's not going to get good feedback. We haven't done that in our business. We've looked at the low hanging fruit, the routes that are well within range, even taking into account our driver's home mileage to the depot and back again to ensure that we're being responsible in giving these vehicles to people because that's another benefit of getting the good feedback you know if you give it to someone in the wrong route or the wrong job it's not you're not going to get good feedback i just um i just remember going back a long time ago actually going on holidays to north wales with my parents and been sat in the back of the car in my dad's Vauxhall chevette um, and him, you know, it'd be three, three, four hours later and he'd be absolutely exhausted by the time he, he got to his journey. And then you fast forward 20 years and I'm, I'm driving to North Wales in the car with the family um, and the dampers on the car are a lot better. So the road, the journey's a lot smoother. Uh, and then fast forward again, 10 years to, to present day and, and EVs, the way that they've been developed, that the, the well-being of the driver is, is absolutely crucial. They need to be fresh and alert for a long day's work. And so it's so important these days. It's, it's great to see that technology is, uh, has, has innovated so much that people are, are they are they are feeling better in their day to day work. So, um, I guess my, probably my final question here is, if if you have one piece of advice for for organisations migrating from you know, ICE to EVs, what would it be? Just uh, I'll go around the around the room if that the the virtual room if that's okay. One piece of advice that you have. Um, with many listeners who who are actually adopting fleets now, I was speaking with somebody this morning, and they were scratching their head—a very very large FTSE 250 organisation—scratching their head about how do they deploy an EV strategy. If you've got one piece of advice to that person, what what would it be? Don't panic. Control what you can control. I I would say you got to make sure you get the numbers right, and it's not at any cost. I would I would echo Lorna's sort of uh, take on it. Don't be overwhelmed by the the, the sort of size of the task, look at what you can do. Like I said earlier, you know, we're not going to transition every vehicle to EV at the moment. The technology is not there, but there are plenty of vehicles in everyone's fleets that can be transitioned. And, and just look at that, break it down, break, it's a journey, you know, and, and the start is to get X amount of percent over, you know, not 100%. And then you will evolve. Um, and then that already links into what Steve said about the costings. You know, it all, all links into that. So if you plan it properly, you know what the costs are going to be and the impact. So, yeah, do something, not nothing. Thank you to Lorna, Steve and Ollie for your time today. It's a great insight into how forward-thinking organisations are leading the transition to an 100% EV fleet and some of the challenges and opportunities it presents. As a reminder, in the run-up to COP26 in November 2021, we are launching this podcast series, The Drive to Net Zero. Downloadable on Spotify, Google Play and Apple Play, in each instance, we'll have notable speakers from across the energy industry talking about the very latest in legislation and thought leadership, whilst we explore all areas of decarbonising the UK and Ireland's economy and infrastructure. 
and we'd love you to join us on that journey. So we look forward to you joining us on the next digital adventure and we hope to see you soon on our podcast focusing on smart buildings of the future and the role e-mobility will play in this sector.